have your Bible this morning, turn to the book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I want to read again for us this morning, beginning in verse 21. Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, but that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Beloved, as we looked at this passage together last week, we saw, beginning in verse 21, what is to be the motto of the life of a Christian. And our motto that we live by is that Jesus is our life. And if Jesus is our life, we saw how that will flesh itself out that that would mean fruitful labor on, in regards to the work and the cause of Christ. And that Paul here saw that if, if God allowed him to live, that that would mean that he would get to come back to the church at Philippi, spend some more time with them where he can invest his life in them because he wanted to see their faith growing and he wanted to see their joy growing in the Lord. He wanted to see their confidence growing in Christ. But now this morning, as we come back to this passage again, I want us to see that Paul here is not just teaching us about what should be a a believer's perspective about life. He's also teaching us what a believer's perspective about death should be. Now, I know when it comes to the subject of death, most times people don't like to talk about it. They really don't like to think about it very much, yet... That's always an interesting fact to think about because death is something everyone here knows is ahead of them. No one will escape it. And because of this reality, it is something that we should talk about. It is something that we should think about as believers. And so this morning we're going to primarily focus here on our text that God has given us, but it's going to allow us to move to some other areas so that we can have a biblically sound understanding about death as a believer. So as we look here at what Paul has to say, there are three aspects to death that I want us to have a right understanding about. The first one is, is your desire for death. Now that very point may shake you a little bit. But notice what Paul says here. Paul says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. What are the choices he's thinking about in his own heart? He says in verse 23, I am hard pressed from both directions. What directions? The directions of life or the directions of death coming upon him? He says because he has this desire. That is, he had a desire for death. So you ask a question, 
Should I have a desire? Should there be something in my heart that has a longing for death? And beloved, the answer to that question is yes. Because Paul clearly here has a strong desire for death. Such a strong desire that he, if it was really up to him, what he's saying is he doesn't know which one he would choose. Now it's not up to him. It's going to be up to God. But Paul here, he's saying, he's, notice he says he is hard pressed. The picture there is of someone who's trying to squeeze into the, the tightest of spots and they're just getting pressed in on, on both sides. And what's pressing in on Paul is he has this strong desire to live so that he could come and invest his life more in the cause of Christ for the church at Philippi. But he also has a strong desire to die. Now please don't misunderstand Paul's desire here to die. He is not having suicidal thoughts. He does not here have a martyr's complex. In fact, it's what's interesting when you think about this, about this idea of death. If you go over to chapter 2 for a moment, you remember what he says about his Beloved servant Epaphroditus there in verse 25, he wanted to send Epaphroditus back to them. Epaphroditus was a member of the church at Philippi who had been sent by the church at Philippi to be a messenger for them, a worker for them on behalf of Paul. And he says in verse 26, he was longing for you all and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. And Paul says in verse 27, for indeed he was sick and he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me. So that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. You just think about that. Paul here was not wishing and desiring for Epaphroditus to die. He was hoping and praying that God would have mercy upon him and allow him to to live and to keep pushing forward for the cause of Christ. And I just point that out to, again, remind you, when we're thinking about Paul having this desire for death, he's not having these suicidal or these, these thoughts of wanting just to be a martyr for the cause of Christ. And also notice something else. Paul isn't having a desire for death because life had gotten so hard for him. It wasn't about his circumstances. That's not why Paul has a desire for death. Not only that, beloved, Paul here is not saying, listen carefully to this, he was not saying to the church at Philippi that he was looking forward to the process of dying. That's, that's not what Paul is saying. Well, what, what, so what do you mean then that he has a desire for death? Well, he has a desire for death because he knows that death is the door to the life on the other side of death. And that's what he desires. He's desiring the life that's on the other side of death because Paul knows that especially for the believer that life continues on on the other side of death. And he's already told us in verse 21 that for him, death is a gain. He is gaining something. And just think about what he's going to gain. You see, he knew that life on the other side of death, as he says, notice what he says in verse 23, that 
if he was to depart, if he was to die, that that would be very much better for him. It was going to be better for Paul if he was allowed by God to die at this point in his life while he was there in prison. Why is it that death would have been a gain for Paul? Why is it that death would have been very much better for Paul? Beloved, the same reason why death for any believer is a gain, why death for any believer is very much better, because on the other side of death, there is life. And listen to this, life on the other side of death for the believer is a gain for these two reasons. One, because you have life now in the presence of the Savior. You're now getting to live in the actual presence of Christ. Notice again, go back to verse 23. Paul says, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. That is, be in the actual presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Paul can look at death and say, if if." The decision in Rome is for my life to be taken and for my head to be cut off. So be it, because as soon as the gavel comes down, I get to go be with Jesus. I will be with Him, and I will be with Him forever. In fact, just for a moment, if you will, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, notice what, again, the Apostle Paul here is writing. He says, beginning in verse 6, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And notice what he says, while we are at home in the body. We are absent from the Lord. That is, we're absent from the actual presence of Christ, of getting to see Christ, be with Christ, touch Christ, be there to actually sit before Him in loving worship of Him. He says, for now, what do we do? We walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer... There he is, he's saying it again. We prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. He's saying the same thing here in 2 Corinthians 5 that he's saying in Philippians chapter 1. He's saying it is the preference for us as believers to actually be absent from the body if we're going to be present with Christ. This is what he means by gain. This is what he means when he says, look, I'm having a hard time in my soul right now because I have this strong desire to depart, it's because I'm going to get to go be with Christ. I'm going to now get to live in the actual presence of my Savior. Now notice something else. Go back over. Go back over to Philippians again. Because there's a second reason why Paul was so desiring of death. One, it was because of the life that he would now have in the presence of the Savior. But two, it is because the life he would then begin to have without the presence of sin. He would now get to enjoy life without the presence of sin. 
What's interesting, if you go over to Philippians chapter 3, go to Philippians chapter 3. Well, here he's, verse 11, he's speaking about the resurrection from the dead. But notice what he says beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Paul's saying here that Jesus Christ had laid hold of him in salvation with the goal of making him like Christ. Of bringing him to the place of perfection. Bringing him to the place where he would be without sin. And Paul says here, look, I haven't obtained it. And this is a mature man, a mature man in the Lord, a mature Christian. He's been a Christian for a couple of, at least a couple of decades. Now Paul knows the Lord. He's been growing in Christ. But notice he says, I'm pressing on. I keep moving forward. I'm striving by God's grace. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm working. I'm pressing on towards this goal that's in my heart, that's in my life, that's a part of my salvation that God has given me by His grace. So you see, Paul knows that when he dies, and when the believer dies, beloved, they get to now enjoy life on the other side of death without the presence of sin. There's no longer any struggle. There's no longer any fighting, struggling in our heart, in our life, and in our body with sin. In fact, that's why Paul, you think about Remember these words that he penned? Listen to this real carefully over in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 7. He says, beginning in verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which just dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't, do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then this principle, there's a principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Here's Paul saying, even as a believer, I'm struggling. There is this struggle. There is this prize of the upward call that I'm striving towards, but there is a war that's going on in my heart. There's a war that's going on in my soul. There's a war that's going on in my life. And but when I die, that war is over. I'm not fighting sin any longer. I'm in the presence of Christ. And I'm out of the presence of sin. You see, beloved, when you think about death, and you think about this idea of desiring death, I would relate it to the same desire for the return of Christ. Are we not called on by God to desire the return of Christ? I mean, the Bible closes with those words, come Lord Jesus, come. Where we're desiring for Christ to come. Why is it? What are the reasons why it is we're desiring for Jesus to come? We're desiring for Jesus to come because it tells us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 that when he appears, we will be like him. We will be like Christ when he appears. We're also told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17 that when Christ comes, we will be with him. So you see, it's the same thing we're talking about here in regards to death. I long for the return of Christ because when Christ returns, I'm going to be with him forever and I'm going to be like him forever. So I'm going to be in the presence of Christ forever and I'm going to get to enjoy living life outside of the presence of sin in my life forever. I think if we really get honest before the Lord, that the reason why this somewhat is a strange concept to us, this desiring of life on the other side, is because we're not longing and looking as we should for the return of Christ. And we're not really as engaged in the battle against our sin as we should be. Because see, we hear and we're thinking about this, okay, there's a war, there's a fight, there's a struggle, there are things that are going on, and in some sense that just seems foreign. We seem to be enjoying more of the sin that is here. Instead of having that heart attitude that we see from Paul of hating what he's doing sometimes. That's why it is sometimes we don't have as great a desire for life on the other side. We don't have as great a desire for the return of Christ. But now, beloved, please hear me this morning. Because all of what I just said to you does not apply to everyone. It only applies, let's go back to our text in Philippians chapter 1. It only applies to those people that can say the very first part of verse 21. It only applies to those who can say, for me to live is Christ. If a person can't say, for me to live is Christ, then they can't say, for me to die is gain. They go together. That's why these perspectives go together, as the Apostle Paul is saying. Because you see, beloved, if a person is an unbeliever, and Christ is not their life, 
And Christ, as we read a moment ago in Philippians chapter 3, hasn't laid hold of their life. If that hasn't happened, please understand, death in no sense at all is a gain for them. Death is totally loss. It is a total loss for them. That is, it is a loss of all opportunities for God's common grace. You see, even the unbelievers get to enjoy and experience and uh, enjoy the, 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 the common grace of God that just rained down on mankind. I mean, the Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. The Bible says the sun shines on the just and the unjust. Unbelievers get to enjoy life with family. They get to enjoy so many blessings here in this life. But understand, when an unbeliever dies, all that is gone forever. They will no longer ever experience the common grace of God in their life. It's done. It's finished. But it's not just a loss of an opportunity for God's common grace. It is a loss of all opportunities for God's saving grace. It is over. Contrary to what others would teach, that once the person dies, if they haven't been reconciled to God, they haven't been justified in the sight of God before they die, They will never be justified in the sight of God. There's no opportunities for salvation. There's no opportunities for reconciliation. There's nothing on the other side of death. There's nothing anyone can do here on earth once somebody dies to somehow help them to get to heaven. And I bring that to your attention, beloved, because if you think about some of the two major religions in our society, in our nation... Catholicism that teaches purgatory, that teaches, began under Pope Gregory the Great around 600 AD that came up with this idea of purgatory, that where somehow there can be, people's sins can be dealt with during purgatory, where they go through a pain that is more intolerable than anyone can suffer in this life. Or even those of the the Mormon religion that teach a baptism for the dead, Because they teach that baptism by water is necessary. It's a necessary ordinance for people to actually have salvation and return to God. And they know that many people have died without receiving a valid baptism. And because of that, not only that, they would teach that baptisms for the dead can only be performed in a Mormon temple. Which tells you there's a lot of people who haven't been baptized in a valid way. That's why they're very zealous about collecting and submitting names of their ancestors and their, and for this great saving work. That somehow we baptize people for the dead in the temples. That this gives somebody on the other side of death the opportunity to somehow embrace the Christ that they teach. But beloved, that's just not what the scriptures teach. The Bible teaches that once a person dies, all opportunity for God's saving grace has come to an end. As we read over in the book of Proverbs, as it says over in Proverbs chapter 11, listen to this, verse 7. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the strong man perishes. Translate that, he's saying that whenever the wicked die, all hope is gone. All hope is gone. 
You see, beloved, for the unbeliever, there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. If a person dies without Christ, please hear me about this. If a person dies without Christ, they are worse off. I don't care how miserable this life is. Please understand, a person who dies without Christ is worse off. I don't care how horrible their life is here on this earth. As long as they're still on this earth, there's still hope. There's still a hope. There's still an opportunity for them to come to Christ. But once they're on the other side, there is no opportunity. But here's the good news. As you sit before me today, that these promises that I read a moment ago that we talked about, that Paul is so excited about, that he says death is a gain for him. Please understand Any and all those promises can be yours this morning. They can be yours this moment if you will truly repent of your sins and truly put your faith in Christ. You see, you're still here. And you're still able to think. You're still able to comprehend. You're still able to respond to the gospel, to respond to what you're hearing. And what I would plead with you this morning is turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus, the one who went to the cross and offered up his life as the sacrifice, as the payment for your sins that God raised him from the dead, declaring he was satisfied. You can have that same hope the same promise, that same desire that Paul has. So we look here at Philippians 1 and we see the desire of death for believers. But now let's go back to Philippians chapter 1 and now let's look at what I call your departure at death. Your departure at death. Because that's what Paul describes death as, a departure. Notice again, go back to verse 23, where he's saying, I'm I'm hard-pressed from both, that is from both the idea of dying and the idea of living, because I have this desire to depart. And that's what he means by death. And the word depart just simply means leaving something behind. Paul saw death as leaving this life behind. Understand, beloved, when we're thinking about death, and here when he's speaking about death, he's talking about physical death. And he's talking about the soul leaving the body, leaving the body at this time, leaving it behind. In fact, I want you to understand that the Bible teaches that there are three types of death. The first one is physical death. Physical death. If you will, for a moment, go over to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 35 for a moment. One of the clearest references to this. When Rachel is giving birth. Genesis chapter 35, and Rachel here is giving birth. It says in verse 18, it came about as her soul was departing, for she died. And that's what happens. Verse 19, so Rachel died and was buried. 
And that's what we mean when we say someone actually dies, physically dies. Their soul departs from their body. But that's physical death. And that's what Paul is saying here. This is what he's primarily saying in Philippians chapter 1. He's saying, look, I'm desiring to depart. That is, I'm desiring for my soul to depart, to go be with Christ. But there's also a second kind of death that the Bible teaches. If you want to turn for a moment over to the book of Ephesians, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And the Bible also teaches something called spiritual death. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul here writes, And you were dead, dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But notice now, think about this. Paul is writing to people who clearly are still physically alive. But he says, you were in the past tense dead. And what sense were they dead? It wasn't that they were sometime in the past physically dead. No, he's saying in the past you were spiritually dead. In fact, he even includes himself there when he says, verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived. We were all spiritually dead. Okay, so physical death is when your soul is separate from your body. Spiritual death is when your soul is separate from God. You see, you're, an, you're alienated from God. That's why you need to be reconciled to God. You need to have a relationship with God. He was saying you were dead spiritually in your sins and your trespasses and you were living life. That doesn't mean you don't live and don't move and don't walk and don't do things. But spiritually, he's saying you walk according to the course of the world. You walk according to the prince of the power of the air. You live in the lust of your flesh. You indulge the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is spiritual death. That's why it talks about in the Bible, especially over in 1 John, where it says he brings you from death to life. That is spiritual. You're spiritually dead to spiritual life, to having life with God. But then there's a third kind of death. It's called eternal death. Eternal death. Turn over to the last book of the Bible. Go to the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 20 for a moment. Let's just pick it up in verse 11 where we come to the great white throne. It says, And I saw a great white throne, verse 11, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small. Again, beloved, that just tells you it doesn't matter the influence or the stature of a person. 
Whether it's someone of great influence or of no influence in this life, they're going to stand before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone name was not found written in the lamp in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire this is the eternal death and just to help summarize it for you to understand it's like this if somebody physically dies while they're still spiritually dead they are going to experience eternal death If you die without ever being spiritually reconciled to God by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be here at the great white throne judgment and you will be declared guilty and you will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. So beloved, Paul can look forward to death because he had spiritual life. And he knew that he was going to be spared this eternal death. Yes, he was going to physically die. But he would get to live forever with Christ. So beloved, understand as we think about that, that when a person dies, their soul leaves their body. Their soul is invisible. You don't see that. No one sees this happening. It seems to happen in a moment. Upon their death. So this is the departure that happens at death. But now let's look at one other very important point that Paul teaches us that we've already made reference to. And let's go back to Philippians chapter 1 for a moment. Though we'll move again to some other places. And the third aspect of death that Paul teaches us here is your destination your destination after death or or your destination upon death. And we've already made reference to it. He says it there in verse 23. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ. What he's teaching there is, and the way that he writes that, is to say, I believe and I know that the moment that I die and I depart from this world, I'm going to be in the very presence of Christ." There are no layovers. This is a non-stop flight. He doesn't stop off any other place. When you leave here as a believer, your soul immediately goes into the presence of Christ. Now we know from the rest of Scripture... We could go over to the Gospel of John. We could look there in John 14. We could go over to Acts chapter 1 where we see the ascension of Jesus that we know, and even from the book of Hebrews, that Jesus right now is in heaven. And so if we're going to be in the presence of Christ, then we get to go immediately into heaven. This is what happens for believers. In fact, if you go over to go over to chapter 3 in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. In verse 20 it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we're we're waiting for Christ who's in heaven. So, 
if Paul says that, and then he says here over in Philippians chapter 1, that if I depart, I'm going to be with Christ, thus I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be in heaven with Christ. And again, what makes heaven really heaven for us is Christ. We, we love Christ. We want to be with Christ. We want to be with our Savior. We want to be with God. We want to be with God's people. We, we just want to love and worship Christ. So when a Christian dies, beloved, they are immediately in heaven in the presence of Christ. But again, I must, I must share with you the whole truth. And that is, for the unbeliever, that's just not the case. There's a different destination. Actually, for the unbeliever, they don't go to heaven, they go to a place called Hades. And in Hades, there is this personal, emotional, spiritual torment that never ceases. And the person will remain there until, as we read a moment ago over in Revelation chapter 20, we're at that great white throne judgment. If you remember that we, what we're reading there, it says the dead are raised. The sea give up the dead. And, and it talks about the dead speaking about the graves. The sea is talking about those that would die at sea. But Hades, it says, will give up their dead. What's that talking about? That's the souls of all the unbelievers that when they die, this is where they went, which is a place of this immense torment. And they're going to be raised up, as we said a moment ago, that ultimately their destination is sadly going to be the eternal lake of fire that never stops. It never goes out. There is no such thing as annihilation. There is no such thing where people die and that's just it. Whether it's a believer or an unbeliever. Beloved, your destination is settled. It's settled at death. It is settled at death. So let me just kind of wrap this up for us this morning. For us as believers, I pray as you listen to this, that on one hand, your heart is encouraged because you know that there's nothing this world can do to you. There's nothing this world can do to you. You don't have to fear, as Jesus said, you don't have to fear the one that can touch your body and that can harm you here in this life. You fear the one that can throw you into the eternal hell. And you don't have to fear him. Because Jesus has covered you. You have the forgiveness of your sins. You have the righteousness of Christ that's been given to you. You you have everything that you need. You have been promised that now when you die, you get to enjoy the presence of Christ. And you get to enjoy eventually and ultimately the new heaven and the new earth of just their loving and worshiping Christ and being with others of your family and friends and those who have either gone before you or will come after you who know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. You can be encouraged by that. And you can be emboldened by that, that we can go out and proclaim the gospel. We can go out and stand for the truth. We can go out and live for Christ, knowing there's nothing this world can do. 
They can't touch us. That is, they can't touch what God has given us. They can't touch our soul. And they can't touch our salvation. As Paul writes over in the book of Romans, there is nothing, nothing in this world, not even death, that can separate us from the love of Christ. We have that forever. So this should encourage us and it should embolden us. It should encourage us to think about maybe loved ones that have gone on before us that were believers in Christ. That we know that right now that they're enjoying the very presence of Jesus. But also I would say this for us as believers. It should also cause us to stop and to think. Do I have that same longing? Do I have that same desire as Paul? Do I have a passion for Christ? Do I have a passion to be in the presence of Jesus? And I demonstrate that right now by spending time in His Word and spending time in prayer. I just long to be with Jesus. And do you have a longing to put off sin? Maybe the Lord will address your heart about that. But let me just close for all of us in this way. There's a little track here called One Minute After You Die. And listen to what it says. One minute after you die, you will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or catching your first glimpse of gloom as you have never known it. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Those who find themselves in heaven will be surrounded with many friends they have known on earth, and every description of heaven they have ever heard will pale in light of reality. But others will find themselves shrouded in darkness, in a region of deprivation and unending regret. For them, death will be far worse than they ever imagined. So while relatives and friends plan your funeral, you will be more alive than you have ever been. You will either see God on His throne, surrounded by angels and and the redeemed humanity, or you will feel an indescribable weight of guilt and abandonment. There is no destination midway between these extremes. I once read of a tragic account about people enjoying themselves on the top stories of a tall apartment building, not knowing that there was a fire burning on the lower floors. In a similar way, many people are enjoying life now, comfortably ignoring the fact that their death is not only inevitable, but much nearer than they think. Indeed, this world and all we have accumulated will eventually be burned up. In 2 Peter 3.10 Don't imagine for a moment that you will get to heaven without the right credentials. You will not be there because your spouse has a right to enter. You will not be there because you have a child who is already there. No, this is an individual matter and only those with the right credentials will be allowed entry. One problem, of course, is that God will not accept us on our terms. We cannot arrive at heaven's gates hoping for leniency. It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. We cannot come pleading for special favors once we have slipped from this life into eternity. Our only hope is for God 
to give us credit for righteous perfection we can never attain on our own. Once such righteousness is credited to our account, we can enter heaven immediately at death without so much as an intermediate stop. As the Bible says, away from the body and at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 Here's how that's possible. When Christ died on the cross, He offered Himself as a sacrifice for sinners, which God accepted. For our sake, God made Him, that is Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Though Christ was perfect, God made Him legally guilty of all of our sins. And in turn, those who believe that Christ did this for them receive credit for His righteousness before God. Christ was considered to be a sinner when He took our sins on Himself. And in turn, God considers us to be saints when we receive Christ's righteousness. God has exceedingly high standards, but thanks to Him, He meets them for us through through this amazing exchange. It's the only way we could ever enter heaven. When we receive Christ's righteousness, God also changes our whole perspective. Christ said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So how can we receive this gift of righteousness? The answer is, admit your helplessness. Admit your sinfulness to God. Acknowledge that you are dependent on His mercy. You must have a complete change of mind about whatever you are believing would make you acceptable to God. Instead, you must transfer all of your trust to Christ. As your sin bearer, you must believe in Him as the one who did all that will ever be needed for you to stand in God's holy presence. You need to believe in Christ, which means that at best that you know you're going to trust Him alone for all that you need for God to be pleased. And you're going to trust in Him for your life and that you're going to now trust Him to live with Him forever in heaven. Beloved, this is what needs to be your response this morning. If you find that you're not ready, if you find that right now if you were to die, death would be a loss for you. It can become a gain by putting your faith in Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.